Hi, I'm Jennifer Wilde, and you're listening to Sober Exposure. If it's about recovery, we're going to cover it. It's like one big therapy session, but it's free. So thanks for joining our dysfunctional family as we uncover recovery with Sober Exposure. Let's go. All right, it is Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wild, and I've got um, I've got somebody really, really, really cool. I got a great treat for you, and I'm going to open it with something that I saw on your Instagram because I loved it. It says, "Strip clubs are open while gyms are closed." That was freaking great. <laughs> it's the mindset expert skincare uh, extravaganza, and I have a funny story I want to tell you about skincare. But welcome to the show. Welcome to Sober Exposure. I'm a big fan of yours, and I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you oh, so much for coming. I'm a big fan of you, too. Thank you for having me. Mwah, awesome. Mwah. So, <laughs> the, the other reason why I love you so much is because I just love a cute girl that kept her looks that was uh, smoking meth behind the dumpster at age 16, because I'm one of those, too. You know? Smoking, some say shooting. Badass stuff, man. Is it the same thing? I don't know. <laughs> oh, you were shooting? You were shooting it. Yeah, I've done a lot of things, you know. Even better. Me yeah. too, man. <laughs> you know, track marks to prove it. So, you know, no, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So let's start. Let's start from the beginning. Maybe tell a little bit about your story because, I mean, obviously you're you're here to tell it. And yeah. that in itself is a miracle. We're all miracles. Yeah, yeah for sure. And that's what sober exposure is all about experience, yeah. strength, and hope. So let's start with the experience aspect of it. Yeah. I'm super grateful. I got clean in 2012 before the massive opiate crisis and mm. overdose crisis. Um, so whatever God was watching out for me in that moment of allowing me to come back before that, because I don't know if I'd be here right now yeah. if I hadn't gotten clean then. And, uh, yeah. So my first meeting was when I was 17 and, um, you know, I grew up in this normal household, right? Mom stayed at home, dad worked, everything was great. I was far more entitled than I ever thought I was. I, I was just like, ugh, I just, I thought everything was owed to me. Um, mm. And so that caused a lot of friction and tension at, at home. Plus I had a sister who was super um, awesome at sports. And my mom was really into sports. She would have been in the Olympics and hockey if they'd had that in her day. My sister was really great at sports. Um, and so I sort of always felt like an outcast, right? And, and so I would, I don't know, like, uh, and this is a very common theme for people that are, that are clean and sober, or they're addicts or that have gone through addiction is that, you know, trying to fill the void with something, anything, right? Anything, doesn't matter what it is. So it would be people, I would try to be a chameleon. I would try to change my, who I am. And, and I just never felt good enough. I never felt um, worthy enough. I never felt, I always felt like I had to be something, something else or something else than, than what I was. And, and I, that, I don't, that didn't come from my parents or some trauma as a child. Like I really believe I was just born with that. That was just yeah. something I was born with. And so, you know, the one thing I, was searching for was, was spiritual connection, which I, I didn't understand that until my thirties. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I would go to schools, like I got kicked out of four schools. So I, <laughs> I, love it. <laughs> I remember grade eight, you know, I'd be in, in the, in the principal's office and I was a habitual liar and I was super, super like uh, high on weed. Like I was super high and they'd pull me into the office and I'd be like, my dad's a lawyer. He's going to sue you. 
My dad was not a lawyer. My dad was a salesman and working in Wisconsin and I'm in Vancouver. Like it was just like this crazy thing. And they would be like, they didn't know what to do with me. No one knew what to do with me. So I got expelled from there. My parents were like, okay, we're going to put her in Christian school. Christian school will fix this. So I just brought the weed and the cigarettes and the boys and the craziness to Christian school. And corrupted all the the nice Christian girls, right? Oh my God. You know, it was so (laughs) funny. It was like, they hated me there. They hated me there. They had this this course called Christian Perspectives. And if you're Christian, that's cool. Cool. Like believe in what you believe in. Spiritual connection comes from many places. Um, But I remember being in Christian Perspectives and and like my best friend was gay, right? Growing up. And so we go in and the very first class I had, they had, was at the beginning of the school year in September and they were talking about the gay pride parade. And it wasn't like a, a debate class, right? Like this is like Christian perspectives from the Bible we're teaching you. Well, I took it as a debate class. So first <laughs> class coming in hot, I'm like, I don't agree with that. Like, I'm just like going, they, they didn't like me there very much. So but I had a man though. I would do the same freaking thing. Seriously. Like, I was like, what? what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Other realm. Have you guys just put me in? This is crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, it was nuts. And so, but I tried to fit in there too. Sorry. I remember I was in, we had, we had, uh, 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 like chapel right and people would come in and tell their stories and their testimonies and people would be like this was like speaking in tongues evangelical so all these kids would be like speaking in tongues and I like remember one day I like looked around and I was like and I just closed my eyes and I was like I don't remember the really thing I just started coming. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know. This is weird. Um, yeah, I just want people to like me, right? Like, so yeah. I was like, okay, if you if you're gonna speak in tongues, I'll pretend to speak in tongues too. Fuck it. Right. Um, and uh and that's kind of like a blueprint of like my life. If you're gonna do it, I'll do it too. Fuck it. And so um, regardless of whether it sits with my values or whatever. So um got kicked out of there, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went into homeschooling. And I got kicked out of homeschooling and it but wasn't wait, my- Wait, how do you get kicked out of homeschooling? Your so mom kicked you- Wasn't my mom. Um, I was super high and was we would have to take our tests at this other place, right? So my mom would mm-hmm. drive me to this place to take the test um, and I would have everything written on my arms, <laughs> but I was super high too. So I'd be like trying to like, it's not like, like, you know, I was stealth. I was super obviously like pulling on my, uh, like trying to get my like answers from my thing. The third time that happened, they were like, you can't come back here. You need to go to a real school. So I went, yeah. And then, you know, when I went to the next school, which is where I graduated from, I ended up dropping on grade 12 and ended up coming back the next year um, because I was trying to get clean and whatever. But I, uh, yeah, I remember going to my first meeting at, at 17. At this point, I was doing raves. I was, you know, going to my aunt's house and then back to my mom's house. And I was kind of living on friends' couches and I was doing a whole bunch of drugs. And it was like, fuck the world. My, my you know, mentor in life, I remember having an autobiography of Courtney Love being like, that's, that's my aspiration is Courtney. Right. Love. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I grew up in that in, in the mid nineties and I was a rock radio personality and I was like, that was my world. And people used to tell me, they're like, God, you remind me so much of Courtney Love. And I used to be like, thank you. Yeah. I was like, I took that as such a compliment when people were like, you're such a Courtney Love. I was like, ah, Thank yeah. you. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I loved her. And, um, 
anything to do with that, like Kurt Cobain and, and, you know, 90s grunge and like, that was my, my scene. Right. And then, and then it was like raves, drugs. And the only reason why I liked raves, I hated the music. I just super loved to get high. And what do you do at raves? You do, you know, competitions with your friends on who can do more ecstasy or whatever, right? Like who can take more pills? So it was, it was a disaster. There were times like there, there was a lot of trauma that happened at raves for me, like getting taken advantage of and, and putting myself into really unsafe situations, um, which sort of helped stop like it, it, that those traumas that happened to me were motivators to stop. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, and to have those consequences at 17 um, is a blessing for me now when I think about it, because it pushed me to get clean at a really young age. And if I, if it had just been fun and, and let's do tons of drugs and, you know, um, but what happened is I got, ended up getting diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis mm. and, um, you know, I was 16 and like, I don't know, you, you, you guys can't see, you know, be on Spotify, you can't see it, but my hands, like they're super messed up. My body's messed up. Like I've had it forever. And I didn't know that about you. I did not know that. And that's very painful. So I would imagine that pain medication was, obviously something that you were quite attracted to. Well, yeah. And, and I'd already had an experience with, with street drugs. So I knew the power of street drugs. And when they gave me T3s, I was like, bitch, are you out of your mind? That ain't gonna <laughs> move me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> your T3s. And yeah. So I, um, I would, I would self-medicate through opiates on, on the streets as well. Right. So then my parents got really freaked out. And I remember I was living on my own. I phoned my grandma for money for rent. She was like, no, uh, phone your parents. My aunt uh, lived on the downtown east side of Vancouver. She was, you know, hooked to drugs. So my grandma already had an experience with that. She mm. navigated to me and my parents. And I went to treatment. So some people graduate high school with a car or with a ring or with jewelry or some sort of extravagant present. And I got treatment. Mm. So um, I went to treatment. I was 18. I went up to, uh, to Terrace and, you know, that place isn't there anymore, but it, it really, before I'd gone to meetings to, to sort of let people get people off my back, like get off my back. Okay. If I don't go to this stupid meeting with these old people that are going to tell me not to do drugs and whatever. Um, but when I went there, I intrinsically had a desire to go to these meetings. I met people that were my age, right. It was a youth mm-hmm. place. Um, and I sort of got, I bought into this. Now I'm not going to name the place that I went to because of the story I'm going to tell, but I, uh, the moment I got out of there, Colin Powell, if anyone knows who Colin Powell is, mm-hmm. he wrote a book and he's like the very tough love. Right. So my parents read that book and Colin Powell ruined my life. And <laughs> right. they, they were like, we got you to Terrace, which is like a, uh, you know, 14 hour drive. 15, 20 hour drive. I don't know how it's a long way away. It's like Alaska. So it's like, we went, we went, you got there. We're not taking you back. Find your way back. And I'm 18 and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And the support workers like got me this place. And I had this little bachelor pad and, and, uh, the support worker was like, you know, I don't think you're an addict. The worker who was working there was like, you're not an addict. If you're an addict, like, come on, like, come just come drink with us. So then I, she, her brother worked at this place called Hanky Pankies, which is a bar. And they were like, oh yeah, just lie on your, on your application, tell them you're 19 and work there. 
it was it this was, is unbelievable it's crazy great yeah that place is no longer in existence wait and it was a it was a chick because i was thinking like a dude might have said that because he wanted to fuck you but this was a right? chick no yeah. it was a woman who had a, who yeah and then she ended up hooking me up with her boyfriends and she lived in a trailer and her boyfriend's uh best friend was like 24 and wanted and then like we ended up hanging out and mm. it, I, it was just a shit show Correct. i ended up finding you know the local drug dealer and hanging out with him and you know yeah and then he was like he phoned my dad and was like you need to get her out of here <laughs> you need to get her out of here the drug quick. dealer called your dad <laughs> i yeah. love that well I- <laughs> they didn't have meth up there then right and i was like i loved meth like get co- cocaine like yeah 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 get your prissy ass away from me i want to do meth so yeah. i was like you know it was cheap and it was it, it got you high for a long time and and so um they didn't have it up there so i phoned my contacts in vancouver and i was like yo they don't have meth up here this is gonna be perfect i look like a high school kid like I, i'm 40 i don't look 40 i mm. looked very young then and so yeah. i would just hang out at the high school and sell meth and so i would get it brought up on the greyhound and it was crazy and uh and then at the point where you know the drug dealer is fronting me money when i'm friends with them right and and he's fronting me well friends with them and i'm fronting him money and 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 uh he's fronting me money to buy the dope i'm selling the dope i'm giving it to him now he's got the contact in vancouver and um what ended up happening is i ended up doing it all myself one time and it did not go well like i remember blacking out for weeks it was like I came to, I'm like, plus what? you owe the dope man all this money. Doesn't he want yeah. his money? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So, no man wants so his money. He was like, he was like, he was very kind. And he was like, if you go back to Vancouver and go to treatment and go with back with your parents and like, you know, I'm not going to make you pay back. This is the nicest drug dealer I've ever heard of in my life. Literally. Like yeah. really? Yeah. Well, I thought mine was nice. I like literally like my, my poor mother, she, I had a nice little Jewish mother. She was so sweet. And at the end of my addiction, she would like drive me to the hood because she was so afraid. And the dope dealer would be like, yo, you got to take her to church. You know, all this stuff. I thought he ended up getting shot in the back and he's dead. I thought he was nice, but let me tell you, I promise you that if I owed him money, he would kill us both. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't thousands. And you know, it was, it it wasn't that much. It was maybe, maybe probably like 800 bucks or something. And he was like, just, just go. It took me five, uh, airplane. And that's the universe and God watching out for me. Don't get it twisted. Like I strongly believe that God universe source energy, Allah, doorknob, higher power, whatever the fuck you want to call it has guided me through. And I've been divinely guided and supported since the day I was born, whether I knew it or I didn't know it. And so I, we're all meant for a purpose and Dharma and all that stuff. And so while I'm going through these things, it's like, it's not like, oh, the drug dealer was really nice. I firmly believe that there was something in play bigger than me that knew that I, that needed to happen in order for me to have my story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the nicest dealer let me go. And I, uh, and, and yeah, it took me four plane rides. I'd missed four flights to come back to Vancouver. My parents dropped me off at treatment and, uh, yeah, I went to treatment and then I got kicked out of there for fraternizing with a boy. And then I went to another place and I ended up staying at turning point for almost a year. And that is what, um, saved my life. I was, because I was 19, I was able to go on welfare and welfare paid for my bed. And so my parents weren't out of pocket. I was paid for by the government in Canada, uh, BC, and I was able to, um, to get clean. Now, if that same, um, if that same service was available 
for me at 17, maybe I would have gotten clean at 17. And so the problem was, is that for boys, there were a plethora of options, especially in the lower mainland in Vancouver to go to treatment, but there was nothing for for girls. There was three beds in a place in Terrace when at the end of the day, they told me I wasn't a drug addict, right? Dangerous. Wow. So we've come a long way. There's still a long way to go. And so teenagers that have drug problems need to be supported more. Um, and funding needs to go to, to kids who are doing drugs, period. More huge, funding. Yeah. huge. This is, this is still a big problem in Canada, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's like treatment on demand needs to be a thing. Why are we waiting three months? Why are we waiting? It's, it's a big problem here in the U.S. too. I mean, it's it's a huge problem everywhere. My, you're bringing this up, and my son um, happens to be in treatment right now as we speak. And let me tell you something: it, it, it's it's a son of a bitch, and insurance does not pay for it unless my son had a you know literally had an overdose, or in, unless these teenagers want you know are suicidal, um, they they don't get treatment. You know, so. Honestly, yeah, I, I, it's true. And, and here's the thing it, it's, there's, there's a gap in the system. So if you're rich and you're wealthy and you can afford it, you can go to treatment, go to for it. Yeah. Go, just go for it. Go, go. Right. They can, right. you can pay for it. If you're on, uh, if you have nothing and you're on welfare, you go. Right. they'll pay for it. If you're in the middle, what you are you supposed go. to do? And so if you don't have a, if you're not a nurse or a doctor or a police officer or something where there's a union where they pay for you, what do you do? Like you crowd, we're supposed to crowdfund or we're supposed to like, wait, there, it's just insanity. And the thing, there's so much research around that moment of clarity where it's like, okay, I'll go. So now you have someone that's like, okay, I'll go. It's like, okay, now we're going to go on a wait list. Right. And you have to, right. When you have that moment of clarity, it lasts literally hours because if you wait, if you, if you wait, that's what I've always said. When you're waiting for the bed, you can't wait for the bed because by the time the bed comes up, you don't want to go to treatment anymore. You want to get high. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got high on my way to treatment every well, single yeah, time I went it, to treatment, yeah. except for when I transferred from the place that I had sex with the guy yeah. and then went over to the other place. Um, but I had to be like escorted even at three yeah. months clean. They didn't trust me. And so, you know, that moment was hours, it can be seconds. And very often it's okay, I'll go if I can do the drugs on the way there. Right. And then it's yeah. like, okay, fine. Just do the drugs on the way there, but I've had it's, many times it's whatever, right? Like whatever can get, whatever gets you through the door. But that moment is like, and even walking in, like I didn't stay clean from when I was 19. Right. Like I, 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 I got clean and I stayed clean for six years at that point, which is a it's pretty miracle. good. That's a pretty good run. That's a good run for a young person. That's you a know? pretty good and, run. And, but the expectation of like, we're going to get clean and stay clean forever at 19 is low. Like at the end of the day, it's like, let's see what we can do for harm reduction. Let's see what we can do for, for, um, you know, keeping you safe while you use education and knowing that if you use it, you can come back here if it gets messy. And so creating the relation, like what really got me clean and had me stay clean. I didn't do the steps in those six years. Mm -hmm. I went to AA, I went to NA. I didn't do 
the program. I surrounded myself with people who weren't using, that were my age, that I had fun with, that I created relationship and connection and community around and unity around. And I felt like I mattered when I walked into the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. So when I felt like I fit in, that was like, oh man, this, the community, the fellowship, this is what I've been looking for my entire life. And I used that as my higher power and spiritual connection. And that kept me clean. But other people can't keep me clean for long, right? We know that. We know that other people aren't going to keep me clean. And so- No human power could relieve our alcoholism. Exactly. So I can, I can for a bit, it's great, mm-hmm. right? And for six years, it was great. I met a boy. He worked at the treatment center. He was clean, you know, and I got knocked up. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and now I have my 17, you know, she's going to be 17. Um, in a month. And like, she saved my life, honestly, because that relationship wouldn't have worked. It didn't work out. Right? I've been divorced a bunch of times, but a bunch of times, but <laughs> I, uh, she, she kept me clean for a while. Right. I always said at meetings like, oh, my kids, because I had another one. Right. We were like, now we're the picket fence family. Once we had Christian and we'd moved out to a different community and I was like, yeah, I'll I'll keep coming to my home group. I'll still keep connected with my sponsors. I'll keep connected with people and do service, but I didn't. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, my, my kids became my higher power, spiritual connection, a reason for staying clean. And I always would share, oh, my kids have never seen me loaded until they saw me loaded. Right. And so when I was 26 and, and I felt like I missed out on something and now I'm removed from that community that was keeping me clean and I'm not seeing them as much. And I'm, I'm I'm a young mom, 24 with a brand new baby and a two-year-old thinking that this is what other people do when they get clean. Like I need to do that too. Yet they're 10 years older than me. Um, and I had a job and a life and the Tahoe and the beautiful house and the, the, you know, good, somewhat good looking husband. And, (laughs) you know, it looks good. Right. Yeah. And so I thought I was missing out on something. I was like, Oh my God, I missed out on something. So I did a pros and cons list. And I said, you know what? I am going to go and drink. Cause I can do that. You did a pros and cons list on whether you should use or not. And was your, was, was, was he sober at the time still? He was sober. He ended up staying sober until he got married at the second time. And then she wanted him to drink, but, um, and you know what pisses me off? He's fine. (laughs) He's fucking fine. That sucks. Successful life. And he drinks. And I'm like, Oh God, of course you have to like be fine when you do. And sometimes that happens. Right. But it's the, it's like, um, that show, it's rare, like, what it's women rare. Want, or whatever that show is that the, the, the book, it's like the exception. It's not the rule, right? Yeah. Like he's the exception. So I always say that like he, he's like one in a million. Like, I don't know how that happened, but, and who knows what happens behind closed doors. I have no idea. Um, but, uh, you know, so exactly, when- you know what, Alexa, exactly. Who knows? And you know what? He's living on borrowed time. Cause you know, you don't end up in treatment by accident. You don't end up selling drugs for a gang at 18 and using heroin and shooting heroin by act. And you know what I mean? Like, get out of here. His wife doesn't even know that he does heroin. She's like, she's lying. I'm like, he worked at the treatment center. Okay. Um, that's a whole nother story, whatever. So <laughs> here's the thing. Um, we are living on borrowed time. And so 
when I, when I went to use, we had fought, we fought, we fought, we fought, we fought, we fought all the time. And I remember saying to him, you'll like me better when I'm drinking. I'm super fun. When I'm, <laughs> I'm nicer when I'm using. Yeah. I'm nicer. I'm more fun. I'm, I'll actually sleep with you. Yeah, like, you yeah. know, like all those, right. So he's the one that bought me my first bottle of wine and he was clean. And so I drank that bottle of wine and I threw up everywhere and we had sex and it was fine for a minute, right? Until, but I'll tell you what, alcohol brought me down faster and harder than crystal meth, heroin, any other drug ever did by far. And maybe it was because I had more to lose when I was 26, but I lost everything in three months. So I was back in treatment in three months. I started going out every single night. I started sleeping with a different guy every single night when I'm married. I had perfect months, which is like sleeping with a different dude for 30 days. And I would use men to get booze so that he didn't see how much I was spending on booze, right? And I would come home at six in the morning and then he would wake up with the kids and take them to daycare. Like it was a fucking mess. And who knows what's going on over there because he made everything look super great he, there, right? He would pay my bills. He would clean up the messes. He wouldn't let my parents know what was going on. Like no one knew it was happening because God forbid it looks messy. Right. You had your perfect enabler. Perfect. Yeah. He was great for three months until like, I'd be like, I slept with, and then he'd be like, okay, okay. Like he was done. Right. So he put me in treatment. My parents put me in treatment again. Um, and they paid for me, right? Like my parents have paid probably $150,000 in treatment for me over the years. And, uh, so thank God for my parents. My sister got a wedding. I got treatment. (laughs) Um, but the thing is, is, is it like, it really did lay the foundation. So I was there, I walked in knowing exactly, right. I walked in there day one sponsoring people. Like I like had this, like, I was clean for five years. I know what to do attitude. And so treatment didn't really work for me because I didn't, surrender and Mm -hmm. so when I went when I got out I was like oh I'm fine I went right back to drinking and so that we ended up splitting up somewhere in there like we back forth back forth back forth 2011 I was done when 2011 happened and we were split and he found someone else because that was why he kept coming back he didn't find someone else found someone else now we're actually split and I'm working downtown at the, you know, doing bottle service. And I'm, you know, I was, I was pretty good looking when I was like 28, seven years old. I got a jo- I got jobs. I got guys. I could, I could sell booze. It was like back when, when, you know, money was flowing and the economy was good. I was making great tips and I was doing lots of drugs and I was totally messed up. And this is what happened is I lost my kids. I would only see them on weekends and I didn't care. And I had these two little tiny babies. I missed out on Ava and Christian's life for years. And in 2012, a good friend of mine from Narcotics Anonymous came over. He used to come over and like, you know, we'd play records and he'd hang out. And really he was just making sure I was okay. And like my Mm -hmm. kids were okay because he gave a shit. He was like, yo, let's go see my dad. He was in a, his dad was in a um, home and I, he was my roommate back in the day. And when I was clean and he was like, let's go see dad. He's in a home. Let's go see him up in Squamish. That's a 45 minute drive there and back. So like mm. an hour and a half mm-hmm. and we didn't see his dad. He told me how much of a goof I was. He's like, you're a fucking goof. You're, you're like a bar star. You're walking on your kids. What the fuck's wrong with you? That's what I got for an hour and a half. Um, and Scott saved my life. He had set it up. So I was going to go to a meeting. I walked into a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. People from before were there that knew me from before. They had a seat oh, ready for me. Don't you hate that? I mean, it's, 
So he, yeah, it was the fucking word. I was like, are you kidding me? I went to the meeting just to like, whatever. Literally, I didn't want to get a newcomer fob. They kicked me out of my chair to, to get it, but it, it saved my life. I stayed, I stayed. And, and I stayed because I wanted to get my kids back. And so when we talk about, uh, you know, getting clean for other people, we can in the beginning get clean for other people. hundred percent. I did. I got clean for my kids. And, you know, I came back February, 2012. I relapsed. I took one Xanax in August of 2012 and then came back the next day and I've stayed clean since. And I stayed clean for my kids until, and I stayed until I had enough self-esteem to stay for myself. Wow. Now, I love that. I stayed, my, I stayed until I had enough self-esteem to stay for myself. I stayed sober for my kids. That's really great. I, I love that. That's a very powerful statement right there. I love it. Yeah, I, what the beauty in that is, is I gained the self-esteem and it didn't come right away. Like the first time I got clean, I didn't do the steps. I didn't do the steps for three years. I got married again. I had two more kids. He was loaded. The ministry came in when I was three years clean. My bottom came when I was three years clean. So I had had two more kids. Rosie was one. I was pregnant with Rhea. My ex was second ex-husband was using. Um, and yeah, I, I, that was my addiction now is, was, was, I was the enabler and I was keeping him okay. Right. So mm. now the, the, it's switched and I'm pregnant and, um, people knew, right. People knew. Cause I would go in and tell people, yeah, Phil did this, Phil did that, Phil did this, Phil did that, Phil did this, Phil did that. It was very out loud. My life was out loud and somebody phoned CPS and I couldn't leave him. And I was pregnant. He was working on the oil, oil rig. So he was gone for three weeks at a time. So I was like, I can do this. Like I can be, be with him for a week when he comes back and have him go away for three weeks. It's fine. So when CPS came in and said, you need to leave him, I was like, okay. And I made an apartment and I set it up and it looked really pretty. And I didn't live there. I only went there when they went to check on me when we had a like and CPS is the Child Protective, Child Protective Services. Services. Yeah. It, up here, it's called Ministry of Children and Family Development. Okay. See, Child Protection Services. I've, yeah. I've, yeah. So I've, like, I've had the pleasure of having them in my life as well. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm three years clean. They walk in. I'm with Phil and the kids. And they took my kids. They took Rosie. They put Rosie five hours away and a ferry ride away. Oh, I'm pregnant with Alexandria. I'm clean. I stayed clean. Phil went and lived with his mom and my older kids went to their dad and I was still able to see them on weekends because he was the protective parent and oversaw whatever. And I was clean and, and, uh, they knew that Phil was living on the Island. And when Alexandria was born, she was taken at birth. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And in, the in room, sobriety. In sobriety. It, in the room, I had two of the friends that I had cleaned up with who had stayed clean from when I was 17. So it wasn't Phil in the room. It was Jessica and Angela in the room. And when Rhea was taken, it was them holding me down on the table and holding my hands and telling me it was going to be okay. I had this doctor at the time who, uh, who had built the fur clinic, which is a clinic for women who have children who are born addicted, that they can stay with their babies 
while the babies, because there's clinical uh, research that when the babies are detoxing, if they're detoxing on the mother's body and to have skin to skin with their mother, that they don't feel the effects of the withdrawal. So he built this clinic and I'm clean and he knows I'm clean and we've worked together for years. Right. And he's also an OBGYN and he, um, allowed me to stay there. And Rhea was born early because of the stress in my body. She was born on my birthday. And, uh, and so she was in care and he, she could have left probably a month before she did, but he, he kept her in there so that I could be with her. But she ended up going to, over to the island and it took a year and a half for them to, and, and I went to, cause I used to scream at them, right? Like I'm clean. And I'm like, you're a fucking ball to the social workers. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. You're ruining my fucking life. You're ruining my fuck. That doesn't help. No. Get your kid back, Alexis. Mm-hmm. Like do what they say. So finally I started doing what they said to do. I went to therapy. I started doing all these things. Like I went to CBT, DBT. Um, you know, I started getting letters from counselors and from doctors saying that I was fit and, you know, people in sobriety, my sponsor, like people wrote letters for me. And eventually I got my kids back and it was a slow process. And I was really pissed off because I saw these people who were shooting meth and had kids that were born addicted, get their kids back in six months. And all I was, was an enabled uh, woman who was stuck in an abusive relationship who could, didn't feel like she could leave. And that's why you're taking my kids for a year. Oh. But here's the thing that I tell people, God gave me that too. The best moment in my life was number one, when Kenny said, go back to Vancouver. And number two was when, and released me. And like, that was the universe. And number two, the universe took my kids away because I had never done the steps. I had never done the program. I had never done therapy. I had always just sort of like been okay. Like, okay, now I'm sober. I don't have a smile on my face. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. I'd never done the inner work. And so God, universe source, whatever gave me the space and the time to do the work that I needed to do to create sustainable long-term sobriety in my life. And if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have had the transformation and the shift that I have today. Wow, girl. So when women get their kids taken and they're in the rooms and they're like, why are all these people getting, or men, why are all these people getting their kids back? And I'm not, you're not ready. That's hard to say. You're not ready. The universe has given you time. Do the work. You're, you're going to get your kids back. If you do the work, it's going to be crazy when you do. Now I have four kids, right? (sighs) But, but I wasn't ready. I needed that time and space to work on myself. And so when I learned, that's where I built my spiritual connection. That's when I started doing yoga. That's when I started praying to God and building a connection with God or universe or higher power. That's when I started building that muscle and that, you know, and, and starting to um, play with like energy and manifesting and, and all of that stuff. And, and so creating and, and envisioning what I really wanted in life, right? I was stuck in jobs that I hated. I was stuck in places that I hated. I was stuck with men that I've hated. I was stuck in anything. I felt like I was under the thumb of everything, everywhere that I went. And the one thing that freed me was my kids getting taken by CPS. You know how many people you're helping right now? I just can't even tell you. And I'm never at a loss of words. I mean, I'm always talking, talking, talking. And do you notice I'm just sitting here and letting you do all the talking because what you're saying right now is just, helping so because there's so many women that are like why me i lost my fucking kids and you know in 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 the midst of their addiction and unjust things that are happening and the message 
is that there's a lesson in there and that you grow from it. Our trauma, and, addiction comes from trauma. Yeah. Uh, whether that Absolutely. be generational trauma or whether that be a specific traumatic event, right? Like before Mate talks a lot about that. And, um, and the trauma that I have in my life creates the narrative. And that yeah. narrative in my life now creates how I show up in the world. And so if I can stop the narrative and I can switch and become aware of what I'm thinking and the thought process, and I've got two stories that I can tell, right? So in that moment where I was outside and I was at the hospital and my daughter is two weeks old and she's in an incubator because she's born really new and I'm going back and forth and I'm there and I'm with her, but the feeling right? Because I don't like feelings. That's why we numb out. We numb out good feelings. We numb out bad feelings. We numb out everything. And so when I'm having this feeling of like, I, I can't, I don't want her to leave. I don't want her to leave. I don't want her to leave frantic. And I feel my sponsor and I say, I don't want to live. I don't want to die. I I just don't want to feel this anymore. I'm just, I, I, I'm just going to use. And she says to me, Alexis, if you use and you die, I will never forgive you. And I have that shift, that awareness right now becomes that was my moment of clarity and then what ended up happening is i once i started learning about how my brain works and cognitive behavioral therapy and neurotransmitters and that i'm not fucked up it's my brain that's fucked up from all of the drugs that i've done and it's okay i'm in post like i'm in post-acute withdrawal symptoms we have that for two years when i learned about that i was like oh shit this isn't just me. I'm not fucked up. My brain's fucked up because of what I've done to my brain. And yeah, I'm fucked up, but when, but I can reprogram myself. So every time that I had moments of like, this is how I connect, or this is how I connect. This is the narrative, or this is the narrative. Say you get cut off in the lineup and coffee. This is like super simple, right? Get cut up. I hate people that cut me in line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you're entitled, get the fuck out yeah, of here. Yeah. Right. Like, ugh. so I, if someone cuts me in line, I have two options, right? I can go, that woman is, is entitled and an an asshole. And she just thinks she can, she can cut in front of me. And doesn't she know who I am and right. right? And create that narrative. And then Mm -hmm. how does that, how do I show up after that? I ended up showing like ordering my coffee to the barista in a super aggressive way, which now she takes that on. And now she's all in a panic and she's taking that on. So I'm polluting the earth, right? The ripple effect. Yeah. In a a negative way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's how I show up. So that's from the narrative. The second action in that narrative is okay. So now I can show up and go, okay, maybe she's late. Maybe she has to go pick up her kid. Maybe she didn't see me. Maybe like whatever. And it's okay. And look where I am. My feet are in a lineup at Starbucks. I'm okay. I'm taken care of. It's fine. Right. Yeah. And so when that happens now I can, uh, and, and when I know that whatever it's happening to me is happening for a reason or for like some bigger purpose, it's like, who knows what, maybe if she had been behind me, she would have gotten in a car accident. I have no idea but she missed that because she was in front of me. Like when I can start looking, being aware of the awareness and taking it out from me, because that's the biggest symptom of my disease is being, you know, so self-centered and, and, and change the narrative. 
now I can change how I show up. So the narrative of Phil leaving me of, I'm never gonna be okay alone. I'm never gonna be okay. The kids are never gonna be okay. I'm gonna be poor. I'm gonna live in this awful one bedroom bachelor suite, basement suite that's gonna be terrible. I'm never gonna do anything with my life and I'm fucked. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now mm -hmm. I'm showing up fucked and now I'm gonna use. But when I can change the narrative to, I have food in my fridge, I have a roof over my head, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know that I have friends right now that can support me and I'm okay. Now I'm showing up where it's like gratitude or, or safety. And when I feel safe and, and, and supported divinely, which is the importance of having a spiritual relationship for me is that now I can show up and do anything. And I've made some scary ass choices. And now I say yes to scary things because I know that I'm supported. Dude, that was awesome. That, and that, that actually just really helped me too. Cause I have a lot of um, lack of gratitude right now. And um, my life I've been struggling. I know if you would, but I've been struggling with my sobriety. I have yeah. since August. I have, I fucking have, man. I have, I have. We've talked about this in yeah. DMS, right. Where it's like, yeah. let's support each other instead of shaming each other for relapsing. Right. Yeah. That it's okay. as part of the journey. Yeah. 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 And your story is so similar to mine. I walked into my first AA meeting in 1980. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little older, but I was her age. <laughs> I, listen, I'm going to be 53 on Saturday and I'm fucking proud of it, man. Totally. I am. Totally. But, um, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I'm not. I lost count. I'm going to be 52, not 53. But, um, yeah, the, the narrative, the thinking, all of that is so important because it's so easy for our alcoholic minds and the way that we think it's just so easy for me to go to the negative, the negative, the, no, I can't, uh, it's just easier. And it's, well, it's easier because it's habitual, right? Because it's something that we've always done. And if we keep saying that it's easier, then it's always going to be easier. But if we can change the narrative around that and say it's harder because it is eventually harder down the road to go into the negative, it's harder to go into the negative. I used to say, fuck my life. You know what that did? It, Fucked my life. Fucked your life. Yeah. Now go. I stub my toe. I fuck my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's that's all about manifestation and and all that stuff that I've I just had three podcasts about that in a row. Really, you know, um, the one right before that was right before you. We were talking all about that, and you know, it is just all about self talk and the way that yeah. you know we, we talk to ourselves and treat ourselves. And you know, listen things, things that are hard are usually good. You know, I get up every morning and I, I work out, I work out like a friggin' maniac, you know, and that's hard work. And so that's how I, um, get the benefits. I reap the benefits of, of health and fitness and, and wellness because I do the work. So if I, you know, if you want the, if, if you keep doing what you always do, you're going to get what you always got, you know? So, yeah. um, I had to do something different and I did. And, you know, the only difference between me and someone else in my clean time is that today I didn't use and maybe someone used today. Yeah. And so the knowledge never leaves us. And, and so the goal of this isn't to get clean time and stack it up. Like maybe for some people it is. For me, oh, I hate those. Well, those are the assholes in, 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 in the, yeah, those are the uh, assholes that are like that. Yeah. You know why? Because, is, yes. Because it's supposed to get go better go. and better and better, right? Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Like, oh, you used cool. Let come back. That's okay. Like, let's figure this out. Like, it's not about. Uh, yeah, I get For really me, frustrated. It's, at that. it's too. Yeah, it's to inspire. It's 
to show people that it's, it's not a stigma and that, you know, here I am, I'm, I consider myself somewhat intelligent. I've had success in my life. I'm a loving person. I'm a mother. I'm a human being. And you know what? Um, I have this and I struggle and there's solutions and I want to bring solutions. I want to help other people. I want it to be destigmatized. I don't want it to be looked at as a moral thing. Um, and I want to help other people with the journey and I want people to have options and I want everybody to be able to talk about it. And I well, don't want to, right. That, this is what, I, this is why I do this. This is why I do and this. I'll this tell is you why something. I don't... And I don't mean to blow up smoke up your ass, but I'm going to do that right now, but just, you know, I, I'm being very real when I say this, <laughs> yeah. um, that there's, there's something to be said about someone who is walking through a struggle of sobriety yeah. and showing up out loud and talking about it on Fuck a yeah. fucking podcast on Fuck Instagram yeah, because, because there's so much shame especially for women right so much shame and weight put onto that that like oh no no <laughs> like sober you like you relapse like come back on the podcast it'd be easier to come up on the podcast not to say anything about it not talk about it but then i'd be pretend. a liar i'm not gonna totally. lie and i'm not like, here how to many impress. people do would do that yeah guess what i am not here to impress any fucking buddy. And if you don't want to yeah. listen, then you don't have to listen. And I am not coming on here as an expert. That's why I invite people yeah. on that are successful. And part of it is because I don't want to pay $500 an hour for a therapist. So you guys can all teach me. No, I'm just kidding. You know, and I've, I've had, I've, I've had sobriety. I'm, you know, I'm sober today. Am I sober today? Yes. Have I used a drink? Have I drank or drug today? No, I haven't. I'm sober today. Um, and, and that's what matters. Exactly. And just today, like we raised awareness, we raised awareness about friggin' get these teenagers in treatment without having to, you know, let, let middle-class people be able to say like, let's raise awareness on that. This is why I do this podcast, whether or not I, you know, shoot friggin' dope. And we when we're let's, we're still raising awareness that teenagers have to be able to get into treatment. So, you know, regardless of where I'm at and, and I'm not going to come on here and lie ever about where I'm yeah, at. I respect you a lot for that because yeah. there's no, and, a lot of people who yeah. wouldn't. And so I and, really, yeah. And if someone's judging me, then you can just, you can judge me and that's fine. And you don't have to watch or listen to my podcast. You know what I that's say it. for people that judge me, I'm always like, you're welcome. Now I've made you feel better. Like if I, if you judging me makes you feel better, better about yourself. You're welcome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm not perfect. Um, yeah. I know what I am. I know who I am. And you know, I'm just here to raise awareness that's it sister so what does your life look like today i know you have like a million businesses and i know that now you are very present as a mother and i love like seeing you at all the soccer all the sportings all sporting events and all that like i, I have one kid and i can't even keep like i don't know how you do it but oh. i have a very good relationship with my ex-husband who i like we co-parent very effectively now after we got through the pain and like once i realized that his behavior isn't a reflection of my behavior i and that what happens in his house is not a reflection of what happens in my house that it we i was able to let go of the control right that like i don't have to control you everything that happens in his life and so mm -hmm. when that happened and we both have made you know we're really good co-parents so he will very often like he's he's not ava's dad he's my second husband so it, mm -hmm. i'm ava and christian and then they're 17 and 14 and then rosie and ria and they're seven and six now so ria is now six and you know it, it hasn't been an easy road to get here but phil was taking Ava out driving the other day. Like Phil feels very involved in our life and I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I've been single for six years-ish. 
Like there's been uh-huh. little it's in and out or whatever, but like, right, really, right. I haven't been in a relationship relationship for six years and I'm happy with that. And so what that's allowed me to do is to start businesses. So, um, I became a yoga teacher and then I started, uh, then I became an addictions counselor and then I went back to work and I was like, ah, I don't want to go back to work. So then I just started my own business and then I do recovery coaching. I do sobriety coaching. I do, I don't like counseling because I just feel like it's so like me and them and separation coaching feels like a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do that. I also have um, a, a business with my friend, Jackie Minsky, where we do courses on mindset and mindfulness uh, and manifestation and creating the life that you want. I also have a skincare business with Tori Spelling and who was on 90210. Who the oh, fuck I think, would I think, know? I think we know Tori. Yeah, right. Like who would know that some meth head shooting meth behind an alley at 17 would email Tori Spelling and ask her to do a business with her. Now you are, now she's like your best friend. It's like just crazy things happen when you're clean that that happened in 2017. And if I had let stuff, you know what I mean? It's just like crazy things happen when you stay clean that you would have never thought for yourself. So I do that. Uh, what else do I do? I I do a lot of things. I I run groups still at a LGBTQ AI plus, uh, treatment center in, um, in Vancouver, I run it on Tuesdays. We run it on spirituality. That's like the, my favorite thing that I do. And the best thing that, you know, and it's, it's sort of, it's LGBTQ friendly. So there's straight and LGBTQ. So my favorite is like the dude that just gets out of jail and he's like day two clean detoxing. He's like, fuck spirituality, fuck yoga, fuck fucking God fuck this. And he's got like his head over. And at the end, he's like meditating and he's like, thank you so much. I really love that. Like that's where my heart, I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Uh, Like I I just, it's very important to me. So, you know, working at, at together we can is super at the Alliance program is super important to me. And I don't know. Yeah. I've got four kids week on week off. Um, I do, they do hockey five nights a week, snowboarding, like life is, is, is it, it isn't easy some days I have three soccer games, a hockey game and snowboarding in there, mm. which is crazy. But the thing is, is like, I know that I can ask for help if I need it. Number one. And number two, I know how precious it is to not have that. And so I choose to show up with gratitude in every moment. And so when I start feeling ungrateful, because it happens because we're not perfect and the, it's, the, the goal isn't perfection, it's just a better bounce back rate. So when I feel ungrateful and I have the awareness of that now, because I've, I've practiced that to be aware of my thoughts, I switch it. And I go, instead of, I have to go pick up my kids at two, you know, at three o'clock from school, I get to go pick up my kids at three o'clock from school. Instead of, I have to drive my kid to hockey, I get to go. And so when you're talking about watching the stories the other day, I was the only parent in there watching my kid at nine o'clock at night, you know, play hockey. I saw like, that. Yeah. Guys, like I want my kid to feel supported and loved and, and, and I love being there. So if, even if he gets embarrassed, he's like, you're the only one that comes to the practices. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, cause I love you. And I want to watch you, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's, um, it, it's just changing my mindset. And so I do it. I can either do it hard or I can do it gracefully. And some days I do it hard. And there are days where I'm knocking on the door and I'm like, trying to get my kid out of the bathroom or I'm like, why do I have four kids that are trying to kill me? Right. Like, there are moments <laughs> yeah. like my kids will be the first to tell you, yeah, my mom's fucked. Right. But yeah, I, I'm not perfect. But what I can tell you is that I try and the goal is just to get better and better. You're amazing. 
You're, You're amazing. amazing. Eh, I'm all right. Yeah. So if somebody wants to take one of your courses or if they want to reach out to you, how, how do we do that? Me I up mean, on Instagram. Um, I'm Alexis Nicole official because some bitch already took Alexis Nicole. So uh, <laughs> yeah, bitch. Yeah. I, I'm the official one now. Um, Alexis Nicole, A-L-E-X-I-S-N-I-C-O-L-E official um, on Instagram. And you can just DM me. And All right, cool. I want to do more with you. I do. I think like, I yeah. feel like I got to know you better now. And I the mean, other thing just, too, can I just say one more thing? I'm so yeah. sorry to cut you off. But the other no. thing that I do is a charity called recovery kids that I started in 2013. And we help kids at Christmas time, uh, whose parents are currently in treatment, receive gifts over Christmas <sighs> and they're $250 gifts or more. Um, and we helped 450 kids this year in Vancouver. Um, and so we've done that every year. We helped eight treatment centers this year, give their kids give parents get their kids gifts over the holidays and we're starting now to start give scholarships uh for sports funding um and and art classes and uh, we're gonna do a back to school campaign in september and help parents who are either in treatment or newly moved out of treatment um with uh with paying school fees directly to the school we pay directly to the club in the school um so there's no money exchanged with the actual person but um yeah that's called recovery kids so r-e-c-o-v recovery kids with a z and you can find that either recoverykids.com or at recovery kids on instagram okay i need you in my life and i would love to support that in any way the podcast we would love to support that that cause yeah. and put it on my website in any way we can because well, let's that, that's stop really the addiction like let's stop it like i said my aunt had it my dad had it like with family right let's stop it let's heal the trauma let's help even the sports can help def deflect from my dad being in treatment get them community and get them you know involved so that they can forget about it for a fucking second right like sports and music all yeah all of that yeah. so let's like switch it switch the narrative help the kids whose parents are going through this and let's stop helping people like listen all of that harm reduction on the streets but help the addicts while they're using heart like uh safe injection sites all that stuff that's really important and it's mm -hmm. also important that what i felt when i got clean and i was broke that it was like oh now you're clean good luck go ahead okay, go Live yeah, life. have fun. Yeah, they need support in the interim. So I, I, I feel like what we're doing is helping um, people in the in in early recovery to be able to give their kids and help their kids heal from the trauma, and help them um, to yeah give their kids the life that they wish they had done while they were you know so that they get to go to sports and watch their kid play sports and feel That's gratitude. Amazing. That's so beautiful. I love it. Love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on Sober Exposure and sharing your message, experience, strength, and hope. I'm going to call you my angel. So, <laughs> all right, sister. Thanks a lot. We'll talk soon. I will see you on Instagram or clubhouse or any of that uh, good stuff. And I know you got somewhere to go. Thanks again. And mwah. peace out, sister. See you later. Need more? Of course you do. The show's all about needing more. Go to my website at soberexposure.show or get stuck on my Instagram at soberexposure underscore podcast.